we got a lot of stuff to cover this morning, so I need to get started. But uh, over the last month, just as a recap, last month or so, we took a break off. Uh, last week, obviously, because of Easter, and did, did a, a special service in light of Easter. Uh, but I'd like to return back to the Code of Honor. Uh, we've been talking about it. We covered the fact that in America, the need for honor is, is a great need, and it seems to be something that's decreasing instead of increasing. And then we talked about what it means to honor God because we know until somebody truly honors God, when it comes to the hard things in life, we're not going to follow through with what the Word of God says because we reason a way that it doesn't apply to us. Then we discussed the fact that the Word says that we need to honor our governing authorities. That was a painful message. How many of you's feet still hurt from that one? Mine included. The fact of the matter that God has established the authorities and that because God has established the authorities, we need to submit to them. And last week we discussed honor in our daily, not last week, I guess two weeks ago, we, honored, we talked about honoring in our daily lives, how honor flows up, it flows down, it flows side to side in the sense that we always have somebody over us, somebody under us, and somebody beside us so that we can earn a good reputation in the community. And this morning I would like to uh, hit on something that I, I cover, I guess, something that I've hit on over the last several weeks and that's honoring harsh authorities. Uh, I know that over the last several weeks, there are some that would argue still, I'm going to honor those that are over me because that's what I'm supposed to do. But Pastor Bob, what if they're somebody that's not honorable? What if it's somebody that, that, is not, that I don't like or somebody that I think has done something that I don't like? Before we get started, if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 17 in just a minute. But before we get too far started, I went mushrooming yesterday, and because my Wednesday nighters will know what I'm talking about, I, because I didn't want to trespass and steal from somebody else, I didn't want to go th- over the fence like a thief and a robber, I wanted to go through the gate, so I went through a property that I had permission to go on, and I didn't have very good spots on that one, so I didn't have anything. But I did a lot of praying, Lord, help me find mushrooms, he didn't answer that prayer, but while I was walking and praying, he was talking to me about this service today. And he says, Bob, he said, in heaven, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I'm saying, okay, Lord, what's that have to do with mushrooms? He said, Bob, a lot of times people will live at the footstool and make their own principles because they don't want to live by the throne. You say, what do you mean? The throne is established in heaven, church. We have to be cautious that when it comes to honor, that we're not living by footstool standards, we're living by the throne standards. You see, God is the king of all things. And we live in this world and we we live by our flesh and we think about our flesh and our flesh gets hurt and our flesh gets offended and our flesh has problems and attitudes. But the truth of the matter is, is that he is still on the throne and because he's on the throne, we live by his standards and kingdom standards on the throne and not by the standards of this world. Too many Christians living in footstool standards. Bob, I'm going, okay, Lord, looking for mushrooms. This morning, I want to encourage you today not to just hound you or to beat you over the head the fact that we need to honor sometimes those that are dishonorable but the simple fact that when we do honor the dishonorable we are submitting to the throne and not to the footstool amen Amen? look with me in first peter chapter 2 we read this verse a couple of weeks ago but we're going to move from verse 17 to 18 now it says show proper respect to everyone 
Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, we read this a couple of weeks ago. We, we talked about full respect in a different verse, but it was talking about slaves to their masters and honoring those that are, that are even godly masters, that we should give them even better honor or more honor. It said full respect, and we covered the fact that full respect means that we obey what they tell us to do. Now, based on Scripture, it says full respect means we're, we're to obey what they tell us to do. We're supposed to do it with a sincere heart. We're supposed to serve them just as we would the Lord. And it also means we pray for them. So if we're to give full respect, even to a harsh leader, what does that mean? Does that mean I still have to do all this stuff, Pastor Bob? Yes, according to the Word of God. Oh, there's the questions already. Already, did you sense that in your mind? The questions going, saying, oh, but, but what about this situation? What about that situation? What about this? What about... We're going to cover it. Just settle down. Take a deep breath with me. Take a deep breath with me. Somebody might say, well, Pastor Bob, maybe, maybe the word harsh is something that was lost interpretation from the Greek. Maybe it's something that, that has become a little harder than what it really means. Well, let's look. The word scolios in Greek means crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair. The Vines defines it as tyrannical or unjust. The New King James Version translated it as dishonest. The contemporary English version uh, translated it as cruel. The New American Standard says unreasonable. Now you tell me, did it get lost in its interpretation? If anything, it got softened a little bit. Think about it. You mean, Pastor Bob, you mean we're supposed to, to submit to a crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, tyrannical, injustice, and, and dishonest, unreasonable, and cruel leader? Let me just take a drink of water on that one. According to the Word of God, yes. You see, the problem is, in our culture, we can't receive this because it's just so uncomfortable to our flesh. It doesn't make sense because we have been trained and taught to live by footstool principles instead of throne principles. Lord, I know they love me. They're just thinking about saying amen. They don't agree 100%. No, I'm just kidding. First Peter 2. Let's read on. You say, well, what if the fact is, you know, uh, the, what, if, what if there is fact to my feelings? What if the person really is dishonorable? What if the one in authority really is harsh and unjust or cruel? Verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Throne. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Ouch. You see, when we actually do this, when we submit to harsh leaders, we actually take the cross upon ourselves and we follow Christ. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't expect everybody to jump up and down and get excited 
This is the Word of God, though. And it's not taught. (laughs) It frightens me that this is not taught in America. You can't go on TBN and see this pop up on the television over and over and over again because people are so excited to encourage the people of God that when you suffer, you're following Christ. Oh no, we got to put on the nice suits, got to have the Rolex, we got to have the Lamborghinis, we got to have the Cadillacs, we got to have all this stuff. Listen to me, church. Suffering is what we are called to, according to Peter. We're called to suffer. Verse 21, this is what you were called to. Why? Because Christ suffered for you. And according to Matthew 10, 24, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Can you grasp that today? If it was good enough for Jesus Christ to suffer on the cross, who are we to say that we will never suffer? And then it's so quick, somebody says something to us and we're so quick to deny him. (laughs) Thanks, Les. (laughs) Les said amen. Anybody else got an amen for me on that one? You see, when we suffer, we have not found the joy in suffering. We have not understood here in America the joy of suffering. Our forefathers did. We have the example of Jesus Christ standing before Pilate. Standing before his accusers. Bent over as they ripped the skin off of his back. As they beat a a crown of thorns into his head with a staff. He said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I'm not going to live by the pain and the flesh of this footstool. I'm going to live according to the throne that I'm going to sit in. I'm not going to live according to this pain. We're actually going somewhere with this. I'm laying a foundation. But you see, Jesus reaped a reward for his suffering. He was the overseer of our souls. He didn't hurl insults. He understood what Ephesians 6.12 says, that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He understood that his battle wasn't against Pilate. Do you remember what he told Pilate? He said, you would have no power over me except it had been given to you. Listen, he understood that all around us there's a spiritual warfare, there's a battle that's going on, and God uses that to better his church. It's, it's hard to believe but I can tell you who's got it figured out people in China know what I'm talking about people in North Korea know what I'm talking about people that's suffering under a communistic government that says you cannot serve God and then when they do they're punished for it they know exactly what I'm talking about we're going to talk more about that it's quick for us to get mad at that boss It's quick for us to get mad at somebody that says something or looks at us a little cross-eyed or thinks something about us, and we get furious and mad, and we forget that this is a spiritual battle, that our battle is not with flesh and blood. The enemy would love for you and I to get so distracted by our flesh and the pain that we feel from a harsh leader or persecution so that we would get our mind off of the kingdom and we'd get our focus upon that person that hurt me right there. When the reality of the fact is that that person is being propelled and being pushed by demonic forces. It's a lost individual. It's somebody that's not under the covering of Christ. They need Jesus Christ. The last thing that God wants us to do is strike them back in the same manner that they've struck us. Why? Why would Jesus think that? Look at the cross, my friend. 
We talked last week about the foolishness of the cross and we didn't fully understand it. Today I'm telling you, when we are under harsh leadership or somebody that, that looks, us or looks at us funny, rubs us the wrong way, we are called to submit to them. <laughs> I said submit, I didn't say obey. Did you forget that from a couple of weeks ago? Submission, we're told to submit and to obey our leaders. Submission is an attitude of the... Obedience is our actions. When we submit to them, we treat them with respect. We speak to them with respect. But if they tell us to defy God, we'll say, I'm sorry, sir, I can't do that today. Because we submit and obey a higher authority. There's three things I'd like to point out today about persecution. Everybody say three with me. Got to get you talking. Three. You say, how can honoring a harsh leader be in God's will. How is that possible to be God's will? And what benefit does that have for us today? Three things. Number one, God can use harsh leaders to develop godly character. Think about it. God can use harsh leaders to develop godly character. James chapter 1 says this, verses 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. <laughs> Ouch. How many of us know that trials sometimes come by people? <laughs> you ever been tried by a person before? Try my patience. Oh, that one's trying my... I've had two or three, four or five or fifty. I've had a few. And, and God allows sometimes people in our lives that are hard, that are pushing us to better us. Think of a drill sergeant. If you don't submit to the leadership of that drill sergeant, what are you going to do when you're in battle someday? Think of that basketball coach. You don't like that coach telling you to run those laps? You don't like the coach telling you to run the suicide drills? Well, then when the game comes and it really matters, you're not going to be prepared for it. God will allow us to be challenged, to be hurt, to be persecuted. And for that reason, we've got to be a little bit sick, twisted people. Christians have got to be a little bit twisted. Okay? You've got to rejoice in your trials. What? What? We've got to have joy in our trials. And we need to be happy because it shows that God is dis disciplining us. He's discipling us. He's working us out to be His creation used for His good. And, and the best example of this would have to be David and Saul. David, anointed king, and then stuck back out in the shepherd's field again. David, who, who wasn't king, wasn't even, a war, wasn't even a warrior, goes and kills Goliath. David, who God keeps promoting and promoting, and yet he's serving underneath a king that the presence, the spirit of God had been removed from him, and he was holding on to his position. You ever known somebody that is in leadership and it's just time for them to move on and they won't ever do it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how Saul was. He says, this is mine. It's mine. I'm going to hold on to it. And David was waiting. So then all of a sudden, we all know the story, that Saul begins to persecute David, begins to pursue him, to kill him. And for around 20, 25 years, David's running, scared for his life. Saul looking for him, looking for things. David said, why are you out here looking for a bug? To kill him. You see, the anointing was on David. And we see two different opportunities in Scripture. David and his men were hiding in a cave. Saul goes in to relieve himself. His men are like, hey, David, here's your opportunity. Here's your chance, David. Here's your chance to kill Saul. Here's your chance to kill him and get the throne. It's yours. 
You've already been anointed for it. You're supposed to have it. So David was influenced by his men, and he goes up, and he doesn't kill Saul, just cuts off a corner. And Scripture says he was conscience-stricken because he touched the Lord's anointed. You say, but he wasn't anointed, Pastor Bob. He was in the position. He had been anointed. And David said, I am not going to touch this. I am not going to pursue this. I am not going to put my hands on it and make my own thing happen. Then the second opportunity came when him and, him and Abishai were standing over a sleeping Saul. And Abishai said, let me put my, my spear through his chest. I'll pin him to the ground. He won't even wake up. He won't move. Nothing. I'll destroy him. I'll kill him. And David says in, in 1 Samuel 26, 9, he said unto Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. You see, David had given Saul to God because, remember what the scripture says? That all authorities are established by whom? It's not our job to touch them, it's God's. If there's somebody that is a harsh, mean, cruel authority, God will deal with it. We just have to give it to him and take our hands off of it. Why? Because if we don't take our hands off of it, we dishonor God and we pursue our own will. You say, what's this have to do with with developing godly character. You see, David was being prepared for his kingship. And had he killed Saul early on, he would not have been fully prepared. Whatever he had to learn in that wilderness, God will teach you in your wilderness. And as David was in his wilderness wandering around for all those years, God was developing godly character that he was going to need because if he didn't have it, he was going to become another Saul. How many of you ever have learned what not to do based upon somebody that was over you. <laughs> Come on, there's a few heads shaking in here. You have never had a boss that, that made really, really bad choices? Quiet, Pastor Sam. <laughs> you learn what not to do, amen? He was being grown. He was being developed. He trusted God enough to believe the anointing he received. He didn't have to go steal it. God had already said it about him. Listen to me. Some of us have to remember what God has said to us because He's going to take us there. We just need to keep our hands off of it and be faithful. He heard God. He knew what God had said to him. He believed God and he said, I'm not going to do this. God is the one that establishes authorities. I'm not going to put my hand on it. And he continued on. And we know that after a while, he endured all this stuff. He became the greatest king that ever lived on the face of the earth. If he had refused to endure the persecution, he wouldn't have learned. He wouldn't have learned. This morning, in light of that, before we move on, why is it that we're always trying to wish all of our hard things away from us? I'll let that soak in for a second. Not everything that we face that's hard is going to destroy us. It'd be really hard for me to go out and run a mile right now. I might feel like it's going to destroy me. But it's actually good for me. Amen? I may not feel like it's good for me, but in the end I'll be like, that's pretty good for me. Once I get my air back and I can stand up again. Listen, God develops our godly character through our trials. Why do we wish everything away? Speak to it. I'm going to speak to my mountain and my mountain will be moved. Well, God says, I ain't moving a mountain. It's the best thing for you. Climb it! Climb the mountain! I don't want to! 
Well, then you're not going to get to the other side. I guess I'll sit here and wait. I got eternity. I'm not going <laughs> to. I already know you're going to climb it. I'm, I'm in the future. I know you're going to climb it. It's going to take you forever, or you could start now. Some of us, we just have to climb the mountain. I don't want to walk across this desert land, Lord. But God says you're going to have to walk across it anyway. I'm moving it. Deal with it. And, and we always complain and say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, because we're so interested in the footstool of our flesh. Lord, I want my flesh to be comfortable. I want my flesh to be happy. I don't want to submit to a harsh leader. They hurt me. They hurt me. And God said, yeah, it's the best thing for you. God wouldn't say that. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. We have got to crucify our flesh. And when we crucify our flesh and we recognize that God is building us up in it, we, our spirit man is being encouraged. God is not interested. Let me put it like this. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to make our lives in this flesh happy. Amen. He went to the cross for our souls. And He's interested in developing, developing our soul, our godly character, our soul, who we are, to control this flesh, to crucify it. Sometimes a harsh leader will bring that about in our lives. It depends on how we handle ourselves with the situation. I can't help... <laughs> I can't help but think of Peter. You think Peter learned something in his life? Peter went through all the stuff that he went through. He was prideful. He said, I want to sit on the right or the left. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, Lord, I'll never forsake you. Oh, Lord, you can't die. And then he's getting rebuked. And then when the time comes, he did what? He forsook the Lord. We also know that when the Lord came, when they came to attack or they came to take Jesus captive, Peter cut off somebody's ear. Peter got wound up and excited. It's like, I'm going to do it by force. I'm going to put my hands on it again. And Jesus healed and rebuked Peter again. Which brings me to my second point. Persecution is always followed by the miraculous. 1 Peter 2, 17, Peter writes this, and this is what I was going to say. He's learned something. It was our original text, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Through all the time of Peter walking and doing the things he did, he finally learned something. He showed them that they had to honor the king. In verse 17, fear God, honor the king. And we don't understand that Peter's situation here is a big deal because it's a really personal relationship with King Herod Agrippa I. Acts 12 says this about King Herod. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He was purposefully hurting them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded, proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Can I tell you this morning that Peter finally grew up a little bit. He learned through his trial. He learned through his persecution enough to where he could write to people and say, listen, it doesn't matter who the king is. We still have to honor him. Tell me, would you be convinced that you could hate the king if the king killed your best friend and then threw you in prison as well for nothing? You would think that's justifiable. Living by stool standards, footstool standards of this earth, we think, well, that's not a big deal. Yeah, sure, the guy's a jerk. I can say whatever I want about him. That's not true according to the word of God. The very man that was in the prison said, you need to honor the king. That's hard to accept. It's hard to accept, amen? But we also know what happened with Peter. We know that Peter went into that jail 
And he sat in the darkness. And the church prayed. The church prayed. They laid the issue at God's feet. And miraculously, everybody say miraculously. Miraculously. (laughs) This is the good part. Miraculously, the doors flew open. And miraculously, an angel came in. And miraculously, all everything was off of him and he's walking out. And he was clear outside before he even came to his senses. Miraculously. It was so miraculous that when he went to the house and knocked on the door, the girl that opened went, ah, Peter, and shut the door and come back. They didn't even believe it happened. Church, sometimes when we're persecuted, the miraculous will take place. The stuff that we can't even believe happened. Again, we may not fully understand that. But the people in China do. People in North Korea. If people, you read the Voice of the Martyrs, it's all these other nations. Why aren't we seeing that in America? Because it's there that the persecution has taken place. It's there that people are truly dependent upon Christ. It's there that people aren't wishing away all their problems. I can't help but think of Paul and Silas. Sitting in prison. After being flogged. After having received the punishment that Jesus received. portion of it. And they're in there on chains and all of a sudden it's about midnight and something happens in them. They just start to stir. And they start to thinking about how they were in chains. We're in chains. Our backs ripped off too, just like Jesus. <laughs> and all of a sudden they get excited. And all of a sudden there's this joy and this praise that rises up in them. And about midnight they start singing praise. I can see them trying to clap their hands with the chains and not even caring. <laughs> Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. And they're singing. And all of a sudden, there's a shaking that takes place. A shaking. And the chains fall off. (laughs) And the doors fly open. And the guard says, I'm going to kill myself because all these people have escaped. And they say, oh wait, no, 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 no. Stop. We're here. They honored. They submitted to where they were supposed to be even though they weren't supposed to be there. We're here. Don't kill yourself. This guy says, I want to know this God that you're serving. The miraculous. They're in prison. The guard who had been keeping them in chains heals their wounds, takes care of them, sends them back, and the next day they're set free miraculously. You say, what's your point? Some of us need to take our hands off our own battles. Some of us need to start placing them at the feet of Jesus Christ instead of fighting our own battles. Jesus told him this at the cross, the same situation. He said, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. My friend, when we recognize that we're being punished, persecuted for something that's innocent, we understand that when we're not fighting and we're not being aggressive about it and we keep our hands off of it, we're living by other kingdom principles. And when you do that, here's what happens. You ready? Here's what happens when you do that. We know that when the barometer starts changing, that there's an atmospheric change and there's going to be what coming? Storms. (laughs) Shaking. Can I tell you and encourage you this morning that all throughout church history, that every time there was persecution, 
Every time that there was a harsh leader in place, every time that there was persecution against the church and it was constantly beating against the church, constantly the, bar- the barometric pressure in the spiritual realm was changing and the atmosphere was right for the miraculous to take place. Every time. When people honored God by honoring those who even though they were harsh and mean and cruel to them, God did the miraculous and lives were changed because of it. Some of us need to take our hands off our situations at work We need to quit complaining and we need to begin to look for what God is going to do that's miraculous with that coworker next to you, with those that you see in the break room, with those that you face on a daily basis. I'm telling you, if you're persecuted for your faith, rejoice in it because God's not only teaching you something, He's ready to do something. Thirdly and lastly, persecution always. Everybody say always. Always. Persecution always (laughs) propels the gospel. Always propels the gospel. Acts 8 3, Acts 8 2, I guess. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women committed to, and committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. <laughs> At first glance, I guarantee you the church wasn't excited about this. I promise you that they didn't sit there and go, hey, we're getting persecuted, guys. This is what we wanted. I guarantee you that's not what they said. They left. They left. But God had a plan. God had a plan. Here's the cool thing. This was following the day of Pentecost. Can I tell you something about the fire of the Holy Spirit? It's like a grease fire. And the enemy's constantly trying to put it out with a bucket of water. What does a grease fire do when you hit it with a bucket of water? It spreads. <laughs> and it gets nasty real quick. Oh my, I didn't mean for that to happen. <laughs> Maybe I'll throw another one on. <sighs> I didn't mean for that to happen. Enemy threw on a bucket of persecution on the church and God went... <laughs> You're living by footstool standards there, enemy. You don't understand the kingdom. You don't understand my throne. Look what you just did. Now there's not just a whole bunch of fires in one place. They went everywhere. And they're spreading my gospel. And the enemy goes, I got more than one fire to fight now. What am I going to do? You see, we don't understand this concept because we don't like persecution. We don't like people to look at us and, and say anything hard or anything direct to us. We have to look at somebody like this, Daniel. Daniel was taken captive from Judah to Babylon, and he had to endure a lot of things. God exalted him until things got bad, and people all of a sudden, they didn't like the fact that Daniel served God. And so they say, hey, you know what, king, let's decree the fact that nobody can pray for the next 30 days to any God except for you, O king. And Darius is like, okay, sounds good. And what did Daniel do? If you read the word of God, it makes very clear. He would go up and he would open up his windows, the windows, excuse me, that faced toward Jerusalem. He'd pray three times a day. He wasn't kicking and screaming. He wasn't fighting anybody. He wasn't yelling insults at the king. He just got up and prayed. That's what I do. I pray because that's who I am. I'm going to live according to the throne. I'm not going to live according to the footstool. I'm praying. So he prays. And finally, they come in and they say, Hey, look, Daniel's praying. Daniel's praying. He's up there praying again. I knew he's going to pray. Well, king, you're going to have to do something about it. He's praying. So they take him and they throw him into, they throw him into the lion's den. And the word of God doesn't say anything about him kicking and screaming fighting, nothing of that nature. So what it says, Daniel 6, the next day, 
Verse 20, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have, no, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. O king, live forever. Do you hear the overflow of Daniel's heart? O king, live forever. He didn't say, you jerk, you no good, worthless leader. He didn't call him names. He didn't make accusations. As soon as he opens the thing, he says, O king, live forever. My God defended me. I've not done anything to him and I've not done anything to you. I've been found innocent. They lifted him out. And can I tell you that the next decree was the fact that they said everybody's going to serve the Jehovah God. He's going to serve the God of Daniel. Listen, the, the gospel being spread always follows persecution. Always. I wonder why it's not moving through America. Daniel's friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced a similar situation. We know what happened. Nebuchadnezzar built an image of himself, said when the, all the music plays, you're going to bow to it, you're going to worship me. We already know what happened. But listen to the words of what was said, Daniel 3, 14. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lair, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They didn't hurl insults. They didn't say, yeah, but I'm innocent. You're serving a dead God. Our God's living. They didn't even say that to him. They just said, we don't have to defend ourselves. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you hear the honor in their voice? Can you hear the respect in their voice calling him O King? They didn't call him names. They didn't call him a tyrannic leader. They didn't call him a false god. They didn't do any of these things. Called him O King. And can I tell you that with Daniel and with them, they learned obedience. They learned submission. The miracle took place when they looked into the fiery furnace. He said, look, I thought we threw three men in there. All of a sudden I see four and there's one that looks like the Son of God. When we connect ourselves with the cross, when we're not afraid to suffer for Christ, we connect ourselves with Him and He walks through the fire with us. And they come out of the fire. They come out of the fire unbound. They come out of the fire not even smelling like smoke. Apply that to your life. Think about it. When we step back... And we say, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to honor, I'm going to treat people with respect, I'm going to submit to them, I'm going to speak to them with honor, but I'm not going to obey the, the processes of this world. I'm not going to submit to the things of this world. Do you know you're going to come out smelling like roses? People are going to say, how did that happen? I have a good God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to love people. And when it comes out the other side, people will see that in our lives. And all of a sudden, the gods that they serve no longer are big and great. But those gods will just have to decree to them, that God's the real God. Stop serving me. King Nebuchadnezzar said, I make a decree again. Everybody's to serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Listen, my friend, we need to keep our hands off of our stuff and we need to quit looking at a harsh leader as a roadblock to everything in our lives and start looking around and realize I'm learning something, the miraculous is about to take place, and the gospel is going to be spoken here in this place today. And it's going to be spoken through my life. I may be working this machine next to the grouchiest person in the world. And they may not be able to stand the boss. And they may tell me things about the boss and I go, he's my boss. I'm not going to say anything. They may call you horrible names, but my friend, what's taking place is, is the atmosphere of your workplace, wherever you're living, is changing and shifting and preparing for revival. I'll say it again. The atmosphere of where you're at, wherever you're persecuted, is changing and shifting and preparing for revival. We've got to have joy in our trials and afflictions. We've got to have joy because we know that we serve a good and faithful God. Is that a clear message this morning? We honor those that are in leadership, even if they're harsh. Because God has placed them in leadership. We pray for them, we serve them, and we place them in God's hands. And He will work it out. Not me. Jesus said, if it was a kingdom of this world, all my followers, they'd come and they would support me and they would fight to try to free me. But because I'm in a kingdom that's not of this world, that's not going to happen. Friends, we've got to stop attacking people. We've got to stop fighting our battles with our, those that are in leadership. We've got to stop with the opinionated attitude. We do. Because when we do that, we are not submitting and obeying the Word of God. We are surrendering ourselves to footstool principles instead of the throne. This morning, we're going to close, close out our service identifying ourselves with the cross. If Amber would come... I'm going to open up the altars this morning for our communion time. If you'd like to take communion here at the altar, I would encourage you just to come up now. Just begin to move up here now so that when our men come to serve, you'll be in place and you won't have to carry stuff around. This morning, I want to challenge us with the fact that when we line ourselves up with the suffering of Jesus Christ. We receive godly character. And when we line ourselves up with it, and we're willing to suffer for His name's sake, we receive an atmosphere of the miraculous to take place in our lives. And if we line ourselves up with the Word of God, and we're willing to suffer with Him, we will help propel the gospel forward. Because the more the enemy fights, the more it moves. Our men come up so we can serve communion together.